We're in uh, Ruth today, Ruth chapter 2. We began it last week. Uh, so if you've got your Bible, go ahead and find it. Uh, it's one of those books, again, it's not easy to find sometimes. It's the eighth book in the Bible. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth. So if you've got your Bible, find it. It'll be easier to follow along. There's kind of an extended passage we'll be looking at. Um, <clears throat> so to catch you up, uh, if you missed last week, if you were gone and traveling, whatever it might be, uh, here's what was going on in chapter 1. It was uh, absolutely tragic. Uh, there's an Israelite woman by the name of Naomi, and she and her husband, uh, because there's a famine in the, in the land of Bethlehem in Israel, decide to travel to the country of Moab where they're going to live and, and hope to make a living. Uh, and then once they get to this foreign country, what happens is uh, Naomi's husband dies. Uh, they had two sons, and these sons married Moabite women. And sometime after that, both of uh, her sons die, and that leaves us with three widows. And so uh, one of the younger widows' names was Orpah, and she goes back to live with her family in Moab with the uh, assumption she's going to look to get remarried there. Uh, the oldest uh, of the widows, Naomi, goes back there, decides to go back to her homeland uh, in Bethlehem, and, and the hope is that uh, there is food there, it's back to her people, back to her God, uh, and then there's Ruth. She's the other of the younger widows. Uh, this is Naomi's Moabite uh, daughter-in-law. And, and as a widow, she is, uh, decides to go with Ruth back to her homeland. And that means leaving her culture, leaving her family, um, and, and, and just going back to, to where Naomi's God is, or her family is. Uh, Naomi, at this point, is, is absolutely broken. Uh, as the chapter came to an end, you know, we, you get this sense that Naomi just feels like God is, is out to get her, um, and nothing is going right. And, and you know, uh, truth is, God has given her little blessings that she's not really aware of. Uh, one of them is this daughter-in-law. Another one is the fact that uh, the famine back in Bethlehem has actually lifted. There is food back there that she can go to. Uh, but as that chapter ends, Naomi is just emotionally crushed. Uh, she has hit rock bottom. bottom. Uh, so we're going to read chapter 2. This is one of those strange things you get caught up in figuring out. Do you read the whole chapter? And we're going to. It's 23 verses long. Uh, so if you've got your Bible, follow along with me if you want. Or you can sit back, uh, imagine a warm fire, and you just cozy up and, and listen to the story here. So uh, Ruth, chapter 2. <clears throat> now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field that belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to the young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one. But keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that, uh, that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. 
Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to them, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you shall take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come, here, and eat some bread, and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat behind the re- beside the reapers, and he passed her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her green, glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some, some from the bundles of her, uh, for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an an, um, ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned, and also brought out and gave her her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and, and said, Uh, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest another, in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. Lord, you are involved in so many areas of our lives that we simply fail to see or, or even acknowledge. Uh, May we rejoice at at your kindness to Ruth and uh, Naomi given through the hands of Boaz in this passage. Enlighten our minds this morning as we seek to understand this passage. May we grow in knowledge and maturity uh, and in our faith today. Uh, It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So most of our lives are routine and ordinary. Uh, We might not like it, but that's, that's what most of our lives are, waking up getting dressed, you know, heading to work, heading to, to school, um, whatever it might be. Uh, we find ourselves uh, cooking a meal and then having to clean up the mess that's been left behind. Uh, and that's one of the things that I just love about this chapter is, is that there's no miracle of the feeding the 5,000 happening, and yet here are these, these two widows that uh, get the food that they need and that receive the hope uh, which they need. Um, you know, there's just this a lot of normal stuff going on in this passage. The fields are being harvested. There are workers doing their jobs. There's this boss who comes with this greeting and employers who respond with a kind greeting. And there's this first meeting between uh, a man and a woman that gives this, this spark of hope, not just for her provision, but, but even for romance. 
Uh, and so I want us to look at a few of the specifics in this and, and really see what we can, we can learn from this. Uh, first thing we see is that we meet this new character in the story, right? I mean, I, I call him a character, but he's real. He actually existed. If I were telling your story, I'd refer to you as a character as well. Um, and his name is Boaz. And we're told that he is a worthy man. This is a phrase that really just means he was in a position of power and wealth in that culture. And then in verse 2, Ruth says that she expects to find favor from some field owner. Uh, she's not talking about Boaz yet. All she really means is that she's hopeful if she goes out uh, that she as a foreigner is going to be given permission to actually glean in the field of, uh, of one of these people. Uh, did you notice right from the start that, that Ruth actually takes the initiative here? Uh, Naomi didn't say, listen, you know, you're young, get out there, work, do something. Uh, rather, Ruth just decides one day that she's going she's gonna to get up. She's going to go out and work and provide for the two of them. That, that's part of this devotion that Ruth has for Naomi, that she's willing to go and do this. And so she does. She walks. She walks outside the city, and, and she gleans in this field. Um, when I was in elementary school, there was this, this farm near our house. We were kind of on the edge of where the city ended, and so there were still farms there. And um, me and my friends would actually cross this barbed wire fence and go into the farmer's land, and we'd pick turnips and zucchini and whatever he was growing. It was usually those two things, though. Um, we didn't do anything with them besides throw them around at each other. Uh, and, and this sounds crazy to me as I tell you this, but the, when the farmer would see us, he would actually um, shoot at us with a salt gun. Not an assault gun, a gun that shot salt. Uh, you know, I know it absolutely sounds crazy. I, I never got hit myself. None of my friends did and actually broke the skin. And uh, I guess the salt got in there and just stung like crazy. He said it hurt. Um, anyway, I know that sounds crazy. Keep in mind, this was Texas in the 1980s, if that explains it any better to you. Um, see, what we were doing in that moment was stealing from a farmer. That's why he shot at us. Uh, but in Israel, there's this, this law that's actually put in place to allow for something similar that's not stealing. You see, um, the law of, of God in the scriptures provided a way uh, for the field owners to provide for those who were in need, um, that were poor, that were struggling to make a living, to find food, things of that nature. And so the poor could actually pluck grain that grew in the corners of the fields. If this room were a field, it'd be on the edges and the corners. Um, so that they could come after the main harvest, and they could also come after the main harvesters after they'd picked most of the things, and anything that was missed by the harvesters was, was free game. They could now pick that. Um, it says in Leviticus 19.9 that when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after you harvest. And then in Deuteronomy 24.19, the, the reason for this is actually given. It says it shall be for the sojourner, uh, that's a foreigner, uh, the fatherless, the widow, and, and the Lord your God, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And so the farmer would lose some of his wealth. That would be lost to him. And it was for the sake of those in need that they could be provided for. <clears throat> now I hope you notice here, there's a distinction here. Uh, this is not a handout. Uh, the farmers aren't required to go and harvest everything and then hand something out to, to people. They simply could if they wanted to, but they're not required to. Uh, they're actually called to simply leave something behind so that it gives those in need the, uh, a way that they can work and it assured that while they were working, they would actually find fruitful response from it or fruitful, fruitful labor. Um, and we see that, and I, and I point that out, that we understand that, that you know, work is a good thing. Um, 
I know a lot of you have jobs you don't enjoy, but work is a good thing. It's a good gift of God. Uh, in verse 3, we, we read that Ruth happened to come to the field belonging to Boaz. Happened, right? Like chance. Um, what appears to just be this random chance is really the, the providential work of God. And that's going to be made clear as we go through the rest of this chapter and chapters 3 and 4 in future weeks. So um, <clears throat> what's also the providential work of God here is that Boaz is present. Um, see, verse 4 begins with that word, behold, right? Uh, behold is a surprise word. It's something we're not expecting. And it's saying, you know, behold, Boaz is actually present here. And it's uh, a big deal because usually uh, the, the man who owned the field wouldn't always be there. The harvest lasts, you know, seven weeks. And so he wasn't there every single day. But this day he chose to come out to see how the harvest is going. And he looks over his field. Um, and just checks things out. So now, you remember anytime someone's telling a story, they include all these little details that seem to make no sense, but they're, they're there for a reason. Uh, the author here does one of those things here. He includes this, this greeting between Boaz and his employees. Uh, there's no other explanation for why it's here except for to, to tell us something of Boaz's character, you know, this godly character that he has. Uh, you see that exchange there. Boaz greets his employees saying, the Lord be with you. Um, what a great greeting. Any of your bosses ever greeted you that way? My last three bosses have been pastors, and none of them ever greeted me that way. Um, but I love it. The, the Lord be with you. And that's this prayer-like statement for, for God's favor to, to be on them. And, and the employees respond, the, the Lord bless you. They know that the work they're, they're doing, that the harvest that they're doing, that uh, it's this prayer that there would be a plentiful harvest for, for Boaz. And, and so this is this the small town kind of situation. And if you've grown up in small towns, you've been there, you know everyone knows everyone's business. Uh, and, and so as Boaz looks out at his fields, he notices there's, there's this woman who is gleaning behind his workers uh, that he doesn't recognize. He doesn't know who she is, and yet he's interested enough to find out. And so he asks his, his manager about her, right? Um, that's the way bunches of, of love stories actually begin, right? Just simply asking about someone. Who's that guy in the blue sweater? You know, Who's the girl playing piano? Uh, it's a little different, though. You know, did you, did you notice he doesn't ask, who is she? He asks, whose is she? Sounds offensive to us, doesn't it? Whose is she? Uh, he's trying to figure out, where does this woman in my field belong in our culture? What, what's her place in this society? Uh, and, and the manager explains, she's an outsider. She's a, a foreigner. And he also explains that, what she's done for Naomi, and she's asked to clean the field. She's come and, and even, you know, sought permission for this. He explains what a strong work ethic that Ruth has. Uh, and, and remember, you know, this is a small town. All the news travels fast. He, he already had some idea of who she was by the time he, he learned about her right here. And so then Boaz actually speaks to Ruth himself, and he uses this, this term immediately that kind of sounds a little creepy to our, our ears, uh, but actually is this, this uh, term of affection and inclusion. You know, he he uh, <clears throat> calls her his daughter. Um, Boaz tells her to continue to glean day after day in his field um, because he wants to offer protection. And that's the one area in this, this culture that he can make sure uh, that she's safe. And so he's telling her, you know, stay here. And then he offers water, you know, that's been pulled for his, uh, for his employees are also being offered to, to Ruth at this point. And Boaz's kindness, you know, goes further than the law requires. It's an important thing to notice there. 
There is something that the law requires of him, and he doesn't stop there. He goes further. So, you know, all the blessings of wealth and godliness that God has provided for Boaz is now being passed on to, um, as this beautiful blessing to, to Ruth. And it's passing through Ruth onto Naomi as a beautiful blessing. And so by verse 10, we, we see just how humble and, and grateful Ruth is. You know, uh, I don't know if you've noticed this in your life, proud people are not thankful people. And that's because the, there's this sense of feeling entitled that they deserve whatever they have received. Uh, and that stops any sense of being thankful. Uh, Ruth is, is not proud. We don't see the actual words, thank you, come out of her mouth. But that's what she's communicating when she bows her face to the ground in that position of humility before him. In response to this unexpected care, she didn't expect him to do it. There was no sense that he had to do this. And she recognized that. She can't even make sense out of this kindness. You, you can hear it when she asks that right there. She says, why? Why have I found favor in your eyes that, that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? What would you say in response to your generosity to someone? You know, if they asked you that question. You know, why, why have I found favor in your eyes? Why, why have you done this for me? You ever, you ever think about that? I mean, no one ever really asked that, do they? But because you needed help or uh, no reason at all. It's just, it's unconditional. Uh, something uh, of that nature. I think that's the way I would probably instinctively go. But I think that's why I'm so surprised when you look at this, he gives a real answer. I'll tell you why. You know, verse 11, he, he says it's because of what you've done for Naomi and because of the way you have left your family and you've come here. He gives a reason, which leads you to wonder, does that mean that Ruth has earned this kindness? Has she earned this, this grace from him, this care? Not at all. And that's, that's not what, what Boaz wishes to convey here. It's not what the author wishes to convey uh, let me try to explain this. Verse, verse 12, Boaz says, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So first of all, the first thing we see here is that it's really God who is showing this, this grace. Boaz is merely the vessel by which God is, is showing this kindness to her, the way that God is doing it. And then the, the last phrase of that verse is this beautiful image of God. God like a big, strong bird, right? Uh, something like an eagle. And, and Ruth like a, a baby bird who in weakness here is, you know, is seeking refuge, seeking protection under those mighty wings of God. And so then the repaying and the reward that verse 12 says is, is given by the Lord to Ruth as a result of her having sought refuge under the wings of God. It's a common image in Scripture. It shows up many times. Uh, the Psalms a great time, but many times. Uh, Psalm 17, 8. The author prays to God saying, Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 57, 1. He prays, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for my soul takes refuge in you. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. See, Ruth is, is taking refuge in God and it's seen in the way that she has followed Naomi in faith away from her land uh, following Naomi to her people and most importantly following Naomi to her God the one true God who she's now looking to to actually provide for her and so there is a condition in this 
And I know, anytime you hear a condition in Scripture, it creeps you out, um, scares us, we're wary of that sort of thing. But, but understand that the condition here is, is not that she perform. The condition's not that she do some work, that she stay, some, some expectation that she hits. It's simply that she seek refuge in God and not in some other means. So Ruth's not earning anything. Rather, she's honored both Boaz and, and to a much greater extent, she's honored God by humbly confessing her need of others' kindness and, and generosity. And, and in this way, her, her weakness shows the strength of God. That's not the only place we, we've seen this, right? Uh, you know, in our lives, we, we too display God's strength when we seek our, our refuge in Him, when we do so by, by prayer, when we do so by, by faithfully trusting God to provide what we need. Um, and the other side is, I want you to consider this from, from the angle of Boaz as well, because uh, we live in the world where we could be Boaz or Ruth, right? Um, you ever found yourself in a position where you were the actual answer to, to somebody's prayer? Uh, it's not the kind of thing you go around telling people, I hope. Um, but it is a wonderful thing if you've ever seen it. You know, uh, listen, the, the way God answers this uh, in this, this passage here is, is wonderful because, like I mentioned before, it's, it's not some miracle, right? Ruth didn't, didn't have a bucket of leaves and it all turned to gold or something like that. It's, uh, it's rather through this very ordinary interaction of Boaz meeting her, being moved to, to help her, to want to help her. You know, that's, that's something in our, our lives that we probably do too little, just, just having our eyes looking out to our people that, that God has blessed us so that we might be a blessing to them as well. Um, you know, life has been so hard for this, this poor woman. She's lost everyone she knows, lost any sense of provision for her. She's in this foreign land where she feels like an outsider. And, and, and here she responds with this gratefulness for, for how Boaz has, has comforted her and spoken kindly to her. At lunchtime, the two of them have their, their first date, right? Uh, group date. <clears throat> she eats bread and, and wine, roasted grain with Boaz and his servants. It's not really a date. They're just talking. Um, but it, <clears throat> it says that Ruth ate until she was satisfied. We just read over that, right? She was sad, she was full, and she moved on. We, we, I think it's easy to forget that that is a big deal in that era. You and I, we're, we're satisfied three times a day with our food, sometimes four or five, right? Taco Bell's the fourth meal. Um, so we're satisfied more than, than we're not. It's a weird thing, we, you know. You'll be hungry before you get home today, but there's plenty of food. Um, but this is a rare thing for them. You can imagine just how wonderful it felt for this, this hungry woman to be full. Um, see, un unfortunately, the side effect of, of you and I having so much food, it is an absolute blessing. It is, but the side effect is we, we tend to lose any genuine thankfulness for it, right? Ah, uh, it's not very good. Um, you know, this, the, the attitude we might have. And I mean, we, we pray... Half of us pray because someone somewhere convinced us that's what Christians are supposed to do uh, at mealtime, right? However, that's not really the case. Prayer before a meal isn't about obedience to some specific command. You won't find that. It's about acknowledging that the food before us on the, on the table is there because God has, has given us means to obtain it. That's why we, we pray before a meal, to thank God. 
You know, what's truly amazing is, is, is this idea that God could have made all the food we eat for energy to keep our hearts beating, things of that nature that we need. It could all just taste like oatmeal, right? And you might think, I love oatmeal, but you probably wouldn't like it eventually if you're eating it over and over and over again. Um, which is amazing because God has given us taste buds and so many varieties of great flavors that we get to enjoy. Did you know that there are, and I confirmed this with Tim to make sure I was reading it right, there are over 50,000 varieties of peppers on this planet. 50,000. And you have taste buds. You don't even care about peppers, do you? So if you don't care about peppers or they don't interest you, uh, you might care to know that Varsity Donut currently sells 31 different types of donuts. That you probably care about, right? And you have 10,000 taste buds on your tongue that can distinguish the difference between those 31 donuts. That's amazing. It is. I mean, and so, so anyway, I, I, I tell you this in the hopes that when you sit down at a meal this week, you'll have that sense of gratitude to the Lord for, for providing it and for giving you taste buds to enjoy it. Um, and so not only is Ruth's hunger satisfied, but there's food left over, which she takes home to Naomi and, and is able to give to her. That's something that would have just been un, un, unheard of for her. Uh, Boaz continues to go beyond the law's requirements and his kindness to her, telling her that she can glean the sheaves. Um, that means that she can collect grain that's not just on the edge of it. She can go beyond that. Uh, it also means that he told the harvest, you know, leave stuff behind. So there's a lot of stuff for her to pick up uh, for her. And, and so after a hard day's work, she goes home and, and she has uh, an ephah. I think I'm pronouncing that right. An ephah of barley. Uh, ephah of barley, that's a lot. You know those huge bags of dog food you can pick up? Cats are easier. They don't eat so much. But those huge bags, that's kind of what we're talking about. So you can imagine this, uh, this woman carrying this huge bag home and Naomi seeing this and just thinking, where have you been? Uh, you know, and because the Naomi, you know, the, the abundance is so huge that she's interested, where have you been? Where have you gleaned? Where did you get this? Um, it's like if you're at the grocery store and you told your kids, yeah, you find any coins on the floor, you can keep it, and they go wander off. And, you know, if they came back with $40 and, like, dimes and quarters and stuff, you'd start to wonder, where have you been? Where did you get these? Who did you rob? Um, that's kind of the idea here. She is just shocked by how much food Ruth has come home with. Um, so I remember I, I told you at the beginning, you saw last week just how broken and, and bitter Naomi was at the end of chapter 1. Uh, this feeling that God has just crushed her. And, and did you hear her, her response to the simple kindness? Naomi says of Boaz, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. There's actually a lot in that statement. Um, and in 1983, I was five years old, so born in 78. Uh, and I lived in Houston, and this hurricane came through town, Hurricane Alicia. It's very memorable to me. I don't know if everyone remembers this one huge hurricane. Uh, and, and admittedly, my memories are vague, but I can remember us as a family camping in the living room. Um, it was daytime, but it was dark outside, like it was nighttime. And there was no power. And, and the storm raging was terrifying. A tree got knocked down, a huge oak tree in our yard. Uh, and, and, you know, in the lightning, you could see that. And it was just terrifying. I'll never forget uh, the moment when, when we could see through the windows just sun again. The first little bit of, of sunlight, of, of ray of sunlight showing up. And, and that feeling, okay, the storm is over. We're going to be okay. Uh, there was hope there, you know. Even as a kid, I can remember that. Naomi is seeing that very first ray of hope. And with it, her bitterness begins to melt away. 
See, God's kindness through Boaz is, is warming her spirit. Something uh, similar actually happens to those who have grown up outside the church, outside of, of knowing the gospel. When they first learn that, that Jesus is a redeemer who can and will save us from, the, from our depravity, from our hopelessness, from our poverty of spirit. The, the hope that, that comes from seeing that there is a redeemer who can remove our sin as far as the east is from the west. That, that ray of light and, and hope. And so here we see Naomi's attitude begin to change with this hope. We, we, you, know, you, you hear it when she says this kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. That word living there, that's plural. Uh, it's hard to see in the English sometimes, but it's plural. She means herself and Ruth. They're, they're the living uh, that has received the kindness, right? And she's including the dead here because the law of redemption says that the nearest male relative of a widow's husband is to take responsibility for that family line. Um, a brother would be required to do it. Boaz is not required to do it. But, but did you notice that Naomi includes Ruth when she, she then says to her that, that Boaz is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. She's being included for the first time. Uh, that term redeemer means that, that Boaz is indeed someone who can carry the family line, and, and though he's under no obligation to do so, since he's not a brother, but rather just a, a close relative. Um, so there are a few things in this chapter for us to notice. First of all, um, everyone in this culture saw Ruth as a foreigner, an outsider. And, and what's amazing is, is that Ruth has nothing to offer Boaz financially or, or socially, and, and yet... Um, he has poured out this kindness to this, this poor girl uh, in this strange land. You know, let me encourage you, because we don't naturally do this. It, it takes an actual intentional training of our eyes to, to look around and, and see those uh, who, who are in need of our kindness. Especially to see those who can offer us nothing in return. Um, train your eyes to, to look for that in the culture we live, in your, your circle of, of influence. Uh, Jesus encourages something very similar when in, in Luke 14, 13 and 14, he said, When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Uh, second thing we see, or we need to see, is that the, the system in place was actually a, a blessing to God. Uh, this idea of, of gleaning, right? Uh, farmers were told that they had to, to leave a little grain behind, and then in Boaz goes beyond what is required there to be even a greater blessing, um, to leave a lot for her. Uh, you know, you think about that. What does God's word require of us in, in terms of kindness? Uh, hospitality. I, I've heard a number of you inviting people into your homes for Thanksgiving. I, I love hearing those stories. Um, calls for us to, to pray for, for others, not just our friends, even our enemies. Uh, we're told in Ephesians 4.28 to, to work so that we have something to share with those in need. Uh, Ian Duguid said of this passage, Boaz was not concerned simply with the obligations of the law. He had a heart that had been touched by God's covenant faithfulness, and it overflowed in covenant faithfulness to those around him. You know, as God has, has loved us and provided for us and shown generosity to us uh, in our great need, May we offer and show and, and pour out on others uh, generously, providing with, for those in need. Okay, so what Ruth needs is a, a redeemer, right? Uh, 
And this is one of those things I told you before. You kind of just have to accept the way the culture was at times. And when it says a redeemer, they're saying that what she needs is someone to provide for her. Someone to, to, to give her a, a future. And, and in that culture, that meant she needed a husband. Uh, but she and Naomi also need more than a, a mere redeemer who can provide, or a mere man who can provide safety and food. What these two women need uh, was a true and eternal redeemer. Uh, someone who could save them from their sin. And, and God will provide that. And the irony is he's doing it even in this process, which we'll see by the end of this book. Um, you know, God will provide for them the ultimate redeemer as well. See, at this time in history, the, the Redeemer was a future promise that they were trusting in, right? That God would provide that. Um, in our day, in our place, it's a promise that God has, has fulfilled as we look at, at, to Jesus Christ, who saves us from our sin, if we're looking to him with our faith. Um, so today, if, if you know that Christ is your Redeemer, right? If you know that, find rest in that. I mean, even this Advent season, as we dwell on the fact that Christ is come and, and dwelt among men as God. Uh, find rest in that. As we partake in the Lord's Supper today, find, find rest in what Christ is for you. Not what you've done for him, but what he is for you. Uh, and rest in that. Find joy in that gift. And if you don't know Christ as your Redeemer, I, you know, it's a simple call to look to Jesus. Uh, look to Jesus where you will find the one and only Redeemer you need who is prepared to redeem you. Let's pray.